evening. It's a blessing to serve with Lance. He has a servant heart. There is no doubt about that. It's a privilege to be with you. Um, I, I was hoping when Lance uh, told me that uh, we were going to do this because Marcus had talked to him, I was sure hoping we were going to be in person uh, with you guys. Every chance we get to be in the Baptist building is a great thing. And, and uh, we enjoy our time with you. I know so many of you and have worked so closely with many of you for the last 25 years. Uh, I am a Mississippian uh, by, by birth and uh, by choice. And for the last 25 years, we've served churches around mostly South Mississippi. Uh, and to be in McGee has been a, uh, a great thing. And it's great to be with y'all today. We're praying for y'all. My goodness, I don't even know how to put words around what we're going through right now. Uh, ministry's totally different today, is it not? It's it's crazy the way things are going on. And, and people ask us questions, and this is my response. I don't know. You know, it's just that simple. I don't know. Uh, and so uh, hopefully we'll get to a point where we will know again. And that's a great thing. Over the last several months, I've been... Uh, doing a lot of funerals and uh that's a great way to start this isn't it i've done a lot of funerals you know but it really has got me to think uh my grandmother passed away a couple of weeks ago uh this uh sweetheart uh, unbelievable lady she's got a, she's got a story that could literally be a movie um was in the sanatorium here in McGee with tuberculosis as, as a 15-year-old uh, for two years. Uh, lived 89 years with a half a lung. Uh, buried two husbands, two children. Uh, an incredible lady. And loved Jesus with all of her heart. Just unbelievable. And so as I was getting ready to prepare uh, for her funeral, which she had already preached it. I started thinking, you know, what mark has my life made? I, I know the mark that her life made, but what mark has mine made? Um, what am I doing to ensure that I'm going to leave this world better than I found it? And I know there's a simple answer in that, and that's serving Jesus and loving Jesus and, and doing what Jesus... And if we do those three things, then we're going to do pretty well. The world's going to do pretty well because we're going to leave a lasting impact. We've heard the saying, well, he's too, uh, he's, he's too heavenly-minded that he's no earthly good, right? C.S. Lewis had a great response to that. He said... If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this world. And I know that there are times that we we think we think about heaven too much. I don't think we can. I really believe that what we think of the next world impacts what we do in this world. And so I just wanted to touch a couple of things real brief to, to encourage you because I know what you do. I, I, I'm a product of what you do and what people before you've done 
uh, and how you've invested in pastors all over uh, this uh, this wonderful state that we live in. I want us to just for a few minutes explore the possibility of creating that life for ourselves that is designed to make a difference, not just now, but after we're gone. In the last chapter of Deuteronomy, you know, uh, that, that wonderful book where Moses is re-given the law, his swan song, if you will, and of course he couldn't write chapter 34 because it was about his death, and, and Moses made a tremendous impact. I mean, of course, he compiled the first five books of the Old Testament. He led the children of Egypt, Egypt of Israel out of Egypt, out of the bondage. He established the, uh, the law of God and the covenant uh, with the people of Israel. Uh, you know, that, that covenant had been shared with patriarchs until that point, and, and Moses is able to share it with the children of Israel. And he, he's the central figure in the three main dominant religions of the world. So Deuteronomy 34 tells us about his death and what happens next. And in this chapter, there's some things I think we can learn about making a difference. And, and three things I really want you to see that are sobering truths. And here's the first one. You'll be mourned when you pass, but not forever. Verse 7 and 8, Moses was 120 years old when he died, and yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. And the Israelites grieved Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. No matter who it is that's gone, life goes on. Life continues. This is one of the greatest men who walked the planet and he was mourned, but there was a time that mourning stopped. And quite frankly, that's the way it should be. I know too many people who stopped at the graveyard. And, and we can't do that. We have to continue. I, I, sometimes I think that my life comes, um, when my time comes and this life is over and God's going to call me home and I'm no longer around, sometimes I think, well, this world is going to spin out of control. You know, what's going to happen? How are they going to handle it? First Baptist Church McGee will never have another pastor in the pulpit to feel, my, who's going to do that? Quite frankly, if it's a Wednesday or a Sunday after my funeral, somebody will be there. Somebody will be there. And it's the same thing with your position, your ministry. When you're gone, they're going to feel your position. It's going to happen. And I'm not trying to depress us, okay? I don't want to depress you. I want to impress upon you on this sobering truth. We're going to be mourned for a little while, but then people are going to go on. Do you know what's going to determine how many people are at your funeral? And, and I'm not going to say COVID-19 because we're going to assume this pandemic's over when all of us die, okay? And not 10 or 20 are just going to show up or we're going to do a graveside and walk away and eat tater salad, okay? We're going to assume that's over. What's going to determine how many people are at your funeral? Not what kind of person you are, but what the weather does that day. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? If it rains, there are people not going to show up no matter what kind of person you are. It's just that simple. People are going to mourn us for a little while, and then life is going to go on. Here's a second thing. We have to devote ourselves to a vision that's going to outlive us. Are, are we, and I, hey, I'm talking to a bunch of people in ministry. 
devoting ourselves to a ministry, to a vision that's going to outlive us. Listen to this, uh, verses 1 through 4, Deuteronomy 34. Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. And there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan to Nephitali to the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh and the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea to the Negev, the whole region of the valley of Jericho, the city of Psalms as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when I said, I will give it to your descendants, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Moses was not allowed. You remember the story, Numbers 20. Uh, the Israelites are complaining because they have no water. And, and God says, speak to the rock. Well, a time before that, he had told Moses to strike the rock. And out of anger, instead of speaking to the rock, Moses struck the rock. And then when he struck the rock, he actually took credit for it, saying, must we bring water from this rock? And in Numbers 20 and verse 12, God says, because you didn't trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community of people into the land that I will give them. I don't think at that time Moses knew they wouldn't go in either, <laughs> quite frankly, those that were with him. Uh, but he knew he wasn't going. And for us, man, that seems like a harsh judgment. I can tell you, I've been more disobedient to God than that, which goes to tell me sin is sin, right? Sin is sin. But the fact is, it was the judgment that God chooses. And it brings another sobering, sobering truth. And that is our failures and our mistakes limit what we can accomplish for the kingdom. That's just the telltale sign. There is not a single person in this world that cannot look on, back on their life and go, I could have done it better than that. I could, I could have lived more for the Lord than what I did. I could have done more for the Lord than what I did. If I'd have worked harder, if I'd have taken more chances, that happened to Moses. Well, what about David? I mean, the man that God says is, is a man after my own heart. David couldn't build the temple because he was a man of war. Our failures and our mistakes will limit us in what we can accomplish. Praise God. He's the God of the second chance or I wouldn't be standing here today. But it still limits what we can do. That's when it's crucial that we devote ourselves to a vision greater than our vision. One of the things that, that we've seen or we are seeing in this mega church movement, and you guys know this, but we see that some of those ministries aren't any bigger than the founding pastors, right? As long as those guys are, are sizzling, the ministry sizzling. But when something happens to them, the ministry tends to fizzle. Moses' leadership wasn't based on him. It was based on the vision that God had given to the people. Even without Moses' leadership, the people were going to get where they needed to go for two reasons. One, because God promised. And two, Moses developed people. Man, you think about Aaron, and you think about Joshua. If you want to live um, and make a difference in this life and in the next life, then we devote it to something bigger. Man, what, a, what, what was a bigger cause than what Moses had? 
not only bring them out of bondage, but trying to get them to the place of blessing that God wanted them to. Man, God's got a tremendous idea for the church. He's got a tremendous destiny for the church. How are we going to get the church through this? I know, uh, Dr. Parker and, and all of you guys, how are we going to get the church through this pandemic? How are we going to get the convention? Is the convention on its feet? We don't know. We can't even see them except through technology, right? I mean, it's an amazing thought. But yet, there's a plan, and it's bigger than us. I can assure you, God's plan, if we looked at it from A to Z, it'd be much bigger than you and I could ever imagine. And so we've got this small part to play. So what do we do? What you guys do every day, what we try to do every day, and that is invest invest in building those who come after us. We want we want the people who come after us to have it a little easier than we. Look, verse nine. Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. I wish I could lay my hands on a few people and give them some wisdom right now. <laughs> From the political arena to the church. I, I just got some I need to lay hands on. In a holy way, not in a rough way. It says, so the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded him. Among the most important work that Moses did in his entire life was he prepared this man. He prepared Joshua, the man of a second chance as well. He's going to be the successor. He's going to take my place. How can I pour into him? We've talked about discipleship all of our ministry. I've dealt with Marcus and, and many of you in discipleship areas, and we've we've talked, you know, lead like Jesus and all of these things. And, and the old adage is true. We're going to invest in a group, a handful of people. We can't invest in everyone, but we can invest in a handful of people and pass on to them that which God has taught us and the vision that God has given to us. And Joshua was that man. Paul did the same thing with Timothy. What did he say? He said, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. That's God's method. We pass leadership along. It's like runners in a relay race passing that baton. We pass our knowledge, our skill, our love for the Lord on and try to build them up. And here's another one of those sobering truths. If you do leadership the right way, those who come after us will accomplish more than we ever did. That's the truth. I hear this all the time. I've never had this thought of, of my own children. Never had this thought. I had to turn to look at Lance occasionally. I want my children to have it better than I did. You've heard that? Maybe I've never had to say that because I had it pretty good. You know, uh, my dad, high school football coach, didn't make any money, but I don't look back on anything I ever missed. I don't. And I've never really said it about my children because I don't know if they could have it as good as I did. I had it pretty good growing up in the 80s. I hate to, you know, my, my kids are adults now, but still. I, I, I think that thought toward people in ministry, I, I want them to have it better than I had it. I want them to do it better than I've done it won't take much i can assure you that but it's not something to under to think about to say 
they're going to do more than me. That's a that's really a cause of celebration. Moses didn't enter the promised land, but he could celebrate the fact that as he saw it, he knew where his people were going to go. They were going to enjoy the fullness of the milk and honey, uh, and they were going to experience under under qualified leadership in a man that he discipled by the name of Joshua. And, and the truth is that you and I accomplish more through people who come after us than we do with our own efforts. If we build into their lives, that's something that as parents, we take seriously because our job is not about making it easier for our children, but preparing our children for life as an adult. It's the it's our job to teach them leadership, uh, to teach them by our example that they can accomplish more than what we did. I think about some athletic families. Ken Griffey Sr. was a pretty good baseball player and a pretty good coach. Well, his son, uh, Junior, surpassed him. Uh, Cal Ripken, decent player, good coach. Cal Ripken Jr. was an amazing player. Jack Elway was a, a pretty good college football player, and he was a pretty good coach. But his son, John Elway, became a legend in the game. And so I thought as a parent, as a, as a coach, as a teacher, as a boss, my job is to help people lead, that I lead, accomplish more than what I do. So I go back to the cemetery. And I was thinking as I was visiting my grandmother's grave after everybody was gone, two or three days had passed. When, when my time comes and I leave this world behind, Life's going to go on, and, and this sobering truth that the impact that, that is going to be felt by what I accomplished is going to be through other people. And and I'm, I'm looking at her in my, my, my papa's grave, and I remember a preacher, and some of you probably have used this, but I looked at the date of death. I have a hard time with dates. I'm, I'm not a guy that can remember dates. I, I had a older gentleman in a church one time he could say I, I remember back in 45 uh december the 4th that was on a tuesday i'm like what oh, I, nothing in my life has ever happened f- enough familiar on a tuesday for me to pull it out of my memory bank but i was I, at my, when my papa had died i just could not wrap my mind around the date which back in 07 that don't mean anything but I was looking at their birth and their dates, and, and you know, that little dash always kind of gets in the way. And and so I, I remember a preacher saying, you know, it's not about when I was born. It's not about the day I died. It was about what I did with that dash in the middle. And am I living for something bigger than myself? Do I want to invest in people that are uh, going to do it better? and be more effective than I was ever. That's the goal. All of that is what Christ has called us to do and how he's called us to do it. And so I just encourage you, I don't know how much time we have from the, if you're in the middle of that dash, most of us are at the, you know, people say, well, I'm middle-aged, I'm 52. How many 104 people you know? The only 104 one I know just died yesterday, a member of our church, right? You're not middle-aged at 50. You're well over the hump by then. 
And, and a lot of us are on the upside. We're on the downside of that dash, quite frankly. What are we going to do with what we got left? How are we going to invest in kingdom with what's left? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for these men and women and for the jobs that they do, for the impact on eternity that they have, and for, God, this just this opportunity that we've had today to just to try to breathe uh, some of your life and hope and word into their hearts and that today they'll be better than they were yesterday because their mind will be more fit. God, we, we as ministers, we get our minds fixed on the day ahead or maybe something five months down the road. God, one thing that you've done through this pandemic is you, you've stopped that focus. We can't do anything we really think about today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week or next month. We know what's going to happen today. What can we do today to invest in eternity? I pray for Dr. Parker and this fine staff. You continue to use them that we might see eternity more full because of their witness. It's in Jesus' name I pray.